Welcome to Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host, and I have three very important people with me here right now. They do the running for the show. They come and they take uh, callers' information and give it to me. We have Emma, the oldest. We have Calvin, and we have Sophie. You can't tell they're brothers and sisters, can you? Now, uh, Calvin let me know that there was something important he wanted to say to the listening audience, so he's going to do that right now. Hello. A man of a lot of words, a future host for Heart of the Matter. So you guys, thank you very much, and uh, get to work. So we will uh, go on now. How about we start with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you. You do and make all things possible. We praise you, your name, God. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. We ask your spirit be with me. Be with the listeners, be with the camera people and the operators, and help this to be a show that will make everybody draw closer to you and what you want for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. A number of shows ago, I mentioned that human beings have the innate need to worship. Most human beings also have a need to belong to something, to be part of a grand movement, to be used and utilized in their lives, and to also to have a responsible position socially. Humans also abhor a vacuum. I think it was Spinoza who said, nature abhors a vacuum. And so as human beings, we are constantly trying to fill in gaps that don't make sense to us. They say that people who have had brain injuries, some of them, will develop a, a blank spot in their vision as a result of that brain injury that they've had. And they also say in the studies of them that that blank spot will fill with a picture from their memory. So while they're walking around looking at a normal scene, they'll have a picture of Mickey Mouse in their vision because nature abhors a blank spot. It needs all the gaps to be filled. And so as people, we try to, we try to make sense of everything. We try to get all the answers and all the certainty down so that it makes us feel better in our lives and we're able to move forward. Uh, providing certainty, direction, and opportunities to belong was important to the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith. Last week, I discussed places that God has lived. The first place was in Adam and Eve. I said that God was a, a tripartite being. He was made of three parts. And that man, too, was made of three parts. And that God dwelled in Adam's and Eve's spirit. And then I talked about the temple being made of three parts, the Solomon's temple, and that he dwelled in the Holy of Holies. I talked about Jesus and God dwelling in him. And then I talked about God dwelling in the final place, believers who have been sanctified through Jesus Christ by their faith. I ended by saying this, LDS temples have no relation or connection to ancient Israel's single standing temple. None. What Solomon's temple stood for, what it accomplished, and what it will again be has nothing to do with LDS temples on the earth today. Where did the LDS temples originate? Don't they have a biblically supported purpose? Are the rites and rituals biblical of Jesus, or do they come from some other source? Before we address these issues, let's look at another organization that greatly influenced Joseph Smith's temple rites, the Freemasons. Now, some people would like to suggest that Freemasonry, its rites and rituals, dated back to Solomon building his temple. Masons themselves, in order to give themselves credibility, will try to tell you that their, what they do in their Masonic lodges goes all the way back to Solomon. But when scholars examined their pedigree, they examined their minutes, they examined everything about them, they discovered that masonry got its origins, maybe in Scotland, but in the U.S., 1717 was about when it kick-started. It has no verifiable connection to the uh, Solomon's Temple, the building of Solomon's Temple, or anything else. It is not an ancient uh, ritual or rites or set of secret things that the people who built Solomon's Temple used to protect their guild. It is simply an organization that was popularized in the uh, 16th and 17th century, and it got its legs in the 1800s. In 1860, the Masons had most people believing that what they did in their lodges and in their temples were from the ancient rite of Solomon. What is Freemasonry? What does it do? 
It is a closed and secret fraternal organization which promoted brotherhood, unity, protection, and economic support among adherents by unifying themselves under oaths, grips, signs, tokens, words, and the threat of death for penalties, Masons became a powerful group that infiltrated early American life and grew as they grew in number and allegiance and strength. Freemasonry was and is a secret social club and order that supported virtue, industry, friendship, and loyalty in the community. In a sense, it was kind of like a white mafia. In other words, they were a group that stayed together, but they did it under the auspices of good things, not bad things. They were a, they were a white mafia. And they were very powerful, even though they, they uh, promoted goodness. And while their precepts were wholesome and uplifting, they stood for good virtues and Americana values, they had nothing to do with the Bible. They used the Bible to, to help their members understand things, but they didn't have anything to do with what went on in the Bible. Scaled back down to a childhood reference, Freemasonry was like the treehouse, where the people who were allowed to come in the treehouse had accompanying uh, secret whistles and secret handshakes and secret knocks. And if they gave those things, you were allowed to come in. It was a good old boy fraternal organization that branched out into the family and they had Demolay for the kid and they have Eastern stars for the women. And it was just a, an organization bent on doing good. Several years ago, I purchased a copy from Barnes and Noble, you can too, that has a very long title. It's called Duncan's Ritual, a Freemasonry or Guide to the Three Symbolic Degrees of the Ancient York Rite and to the Degrees of Mark Master, Past Master, Most Excellent Master, and Royal Arch. It was written in 1866 by a guy named Malcolm Duncan, and it gives the entire rites and rituals of Freemasonry dating back to the 1700s. They think 1717. I highly recommend a first-hand reading of this book, which is very easy to get. If you're LDS and you've always wondered about the temple that you go to and what you do there and where it comes from, go read what Freemasonry was doing at least 100 years in a, uh, before Joseph Smith was born. Listen to some of the things that are found as standards in the Masonic lodges back in 1700, 1800, and even today. The veil has long been lifted. The compass in the square. Brethren, brother, they put on an apron. Hat, sash, yoke, and apron. Brethren will be properly clothed and in order. Make the sign to introduce and clothe all visiting brethren to receive. Under no less penalty, the left arm forming a square. Drop the left arm suddenly and with spirit as soon as the two motions are accomplished. Holy Bible, square and compass. Raise the hands above the head and drop repeating three times saying, O Lord. Garments. Whisper the password in their ear. All rise. Confirmation will make it known by the usual sign of the Mason. Raise your right hand. The opposed by the same sign. Found worthy. Three distinct knocks. Let him enter. Should you reveal, should you attempt to reveal the secrets of this house, endue him. A question is asked, who comes here? The answer is given. Mr. Parker, who has long been in darkness, now seeks to receive. Own free will. Token. As the sun rules the day and the moon rules the night. By the signs and tokens, as you are clothed. Has it a name? It has. Will you give it to me? I did not receive it. A new name. Never deviate. Initi initiated. These are a lot, I'm almost done. Other Masonic words coming from their rites in 1717. As you increase in knowledge, when it is conferred upon you, three loud distinct knocks. He now wishes to receive further light and knowledge. Is he worthy that, I that a person will not have illegal carnal intercourse? Looking the conductor in the eye, let us report. All now form a circle. The master makes the sign of distress of a master mason, which is done by raising both hands and arms above the head. 
gives him a grand Masonic word on the five points of fellowship, orders of the priesthood, approbation, adieu, a fond adieu. The veils are now pushed apart to admit the candidate. High priest, it is necessary you should be very particular in tracing your genealogy. Will most readily pledge to do all that is required of them. And finally, the new era and when a candidate receives the first degree, he is said to be initiated. At the second step, he is passed. At the third, raised. And when he, the marked degree, he is congratulated, advanced. Having passed the chair, he is said to have presided. When, it, when he becomes a most excellent master, he is acknowledged and received. And then he is exalted. I know that was a lot of stuff, particularly if you aren't familiar with LDS versions of what goes on in the temple. But this stuff was verbatim, and it is what gives the basis for temple worship, not the temples that were in the time of the Lord and before. Masonry decided that the gospel of Jesus Christ was not enough to convince men to live well, but that another order, another institution, a service club would help these people come along. This is the genesis of Mormon temple work. This is the origin of the Utah State Beehive. It comes from masonry. The all-seeing eye, which is on the LDS temple in Salt Lake. Hand grips, handshakes, which are on the LDS temple in Salt Lake. Suns, moons, and stars. Passwords, all emblems of Utah Mormonism today, all on the exterior of the Salt Lake City temple. Also employed as icons of masonry and Mormonism are the compass, the square, two triangles forming a six-pointed star, and the phrase, holiness to the Lord on the outside of the buildings. Speaking of Joseph Smith, LDS author Richard Bushman has said in a recent book, he had a green thumb for growing ideas from seeds. Masonic rites seem to have been one more provocation. What does this all mean? Three things, and we're going to open up the phone lines now. First, LDS temples have no connection, similarity, or association with the ancient Israel temples that God commanded. None. With the slight exception of a baptismal font that Joseph Smith had included in a later temple, not by revelation, but just by discussion. Second, Freemasonry... Another group without any connection to the temple of ancient Israel is a social institution that unifies and supports initiates through a bunch of tokens, signs, passwords, veils, heavenly icons, sashes, robes, aprons, and penalties. They provide brotherhood, service opportunities, activities, and direction for men and families. But they are not biblical. They are not something that Jesus says is part of salvation. Third, LDS temples have their origin, purpose, and inspiration from masonry, and the rites and rituals therein are anything but biblical, Christian, or necessary for salvation for either the living or the dead. We're going to go to the phone lines. I have Bill in Meridian, Idaho, and let's go to Bill. You're on Heart of the Matter. Bill? Yes. You're on. Is your, is your TV on? Yeah, it is. Sorry. I'll turn it off. Hi, is this Sean? This is. Sean, good to talk to you. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Good. Sean, I was just wondering what turned you away from the church? Um, I answer this question probably about every five shows because people aren't familiar, but I'll answer it again for those who haven't heard. Um, essentially, what turned me away from the church was the fact that the doctrines did not lead me to spiritual rebirth. I was a sinner. I needed to have spiritual regeneration, and when I pulled to the side of the road one day in 1997, the Lord changed my heart, He changed my eyes, and four years later I uh, knew that what I needed to follow was the Bible exactly and not the edicts of the church. And do you think you're going to be judged by God for turning people away from the church? Yeah, I think He'll reward me. Rewarded? Yeah, I think He'll reward me. So which way are you swinging if not towards the LDS church? What am I? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Which way are you steering them if not towards the LDS church? 
oh, I'm not steering people to the LDS church. I'm steering, I'm steering people to the Lord Jesus Christ and asking them to give him a chance to direct their lives. That's the purpose of the show. So that can't be found through the LDS church is what you think, Sean? I, well, I don't think it can be found through the teachings and doctrines of the LDS church. Now, I think that Mormon people can have a relationship with Jesus Christ that's regenerative, and I think that there are Mormons who are saved, which makes me very different from, from many of my colleagues who are Christian. But I do think Mormonism fails in leading people to the Lord. Well, that's false, man. I think there's a special spot in hell for you. I think you will be judged for it. Well, if there's a special spot in hell, I'm going to go there believing in Jesus all the way. You're turning people away, you will. Well, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's your opinion, Bill, and I appreciate it, but it's not biblical. I feel sorry for you, man. That's okay, brother. You take care. We're going to Douglas on line three. Douglas, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean. Yeah. The uh, early Mormon uh, leaders, most of them were Freemasons. Hiram Smith, Joseph's brother, and then later Joseph Smith in Nauvoo became a Freemason. Douglas, you're stealing my closing material, man. But sometime later on, the Mormons and the Masons had a major splitting up. I mean, there was, they're not close at all anymore. Do you know when that took place? When they had the split? In the way of the Mormons and the Masons. I don't know when they had a split. I didn't realize they had a split. I never knew they were together. Masons and Mormons are not close at all. I understand that, but they're close in their temple rites. Well, yeah, yeah, because of yeah, the, what they do in their temples. Yes. And at some point, I think the Masons actually kicked the Mormon leaders out. Huh. And I don't know very much about that particular period of time, and I just wondered... Douglas, I don't know when that happened, but, but what the important thing for the show was to, to point out that, because we talked about the temple last week, that the LDS temple doesn't have its foundation or basis in, in anything in the temple of Solomon, but in masonry. The reason that's so important is because as a Latter-day Saint, you'll walk around the church and you'll hear people say, oh, uh, when they read in the scriptures about the temple, they actually think they're talking about the same place and they are not even close. I was married, and I was married and sealed in the temple. Uh huh. And uh, so I've been there many times. Yeah. At 53 years of age, I left the Mormon Church with two of my sons, and we've become born again Christians. Praise God. One of the important things we've always realized is very, very many of the doctrines of the Mormon Church are so unbiblical that I, I'm assuming that you can be born again and still be a Mormon, but I think from that point forth, it's a question of getting rid of a lot of the teachings that the Mormons have put forth as doctrine. And that's what happens... God someday. That's what happens... That's what happens when the Lord changes your heart, isn't it? Yeah. You yeah. begin to realize that much, if not almost all, of the doctrines of the Mormon church are totally unbiblical. Right. Hey, Doug, thanks for the call. It's always great information. See you Sunday. All right. See you at Heart in the Park. At the Heart in the Park. Have okay. a nice evening. Okay, Doug. Take care. Bye now. Bye-bye. I got to remember. Karen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. I just called for a couple of matters. Yeah. One, you referred to Solomon's Temple, actually the temple which Christ was at was... Herod's? Temple. Yeah. I just use Solomon's because I don't want to kind of muddy the waters with the facts. <laughs> I, I realize it was Herod, but go ahead. And also, there are two Masons, the Freemasons and, of course, the French Masons. And the French Masons were the first Masons which were started. And that and they were started as a organization, I guess you could say, the first um, labor union, and that for the people who were building uh, the cathedrals. Cathedrals, yeah, I've heard that. And that, how I know was I was a Job's daughter. Oh, really? So, <laughs> I was a Joby, so Here's I know Joby. all about the Masons. What are you now? A very confused person, because I'll tell you, I went to the temple for the first time, and when I walked out, I looked at the gentleman who I love, and 
that's why I got involved with the Mormon Church. And I said, I just went through a Mason ceremony. Yeah. It was identical. Oh, it's wonderful. I'm glad, so glad you called. Even the rooms that they have and yeah. the names for the rooms. Yeah. It was like being in a Masonic temple. Yeah. Which, of course, as a Job star, I shouldn't even acknowledge that because we're supposed to keep everything secret. Right. <laughs> well, uh, what, what has happened with you in uh, being a Mason now? Being a Mason? Well, I'm not. When, when I got married the first time, why, he was not a Mason, so I couldn't become an Eastern star. Eastern star. How about Mormon? What are you doing with it now? Uh, I'm just really... Actually, I've asked you several times for your book. This Have you gotten it? No, I haven't gotten it. <laughs> Karen. I'm going to come to Heartland Park. You're coming to Heartland Park. We'll give you one there if you haven't received it. Amy and says that you'll, that you'll have them there. So. We'll have some there to give you. So please come. I look so forward to meeting with you, and we can talk about the Lord at Heartland Park. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Thanks for calling. Mm -hmm. We're Bye. going to Chewy in Orem. Chewy's a first-time caller. Chewy, what's going on? Pretty good. I'm really glad about the things you're doing here. I'm Native American by blood. I'm half Hopi and half Pueblo. Wow. And I know all too well our history, especially when it comes to the white version of Jesus Christ. We've had our own visions and our own visitations of Jesus Christ well before Columbus ever thought he was in uh, India, of course. Huh. You know, that's why they call us Indians. Uh -huh. But I went through the regular whole thing. I was Catholic when I was a young boy, raised in East Los Angeles. And then I went through um, a lot of Jewish kids that I grew up with. So I studied under the, under the Kabbalah, underneath, oh. and the, the, studied the Jewish religion, almost left. And then um, went on a mission, uh -huh. still didn't try to, you know, I still didn't try to, uh, it didn't make sense, but I just did it. This is what I thought I should do. And eventually it led me to a point in my life where um, I had to really look at the Mormon Church for what it really is, and I always knew things going on there, especially when it came to the Masonic, the Masonic side of it. Yeah. Um, I was recruited heavily by the Satanic side for about three years of my life. Uh -huh. I uh, studied under uh, Antoine Levan and, and the Satanic Church, so I know what all these things kind of they stem from. It goes all the way back to the time of Babylon, uh -huh. same rituals, same concept, uh -huh. and, and as far as I'm concerned, you're right, there is no true religion. As a matter of fact, I do consider right. Mormonism nothing more than a cult, and always right. have. But I was there for the social aspect. I was there for the, the girls when I was younger and yeah. the whole thing. But um, when it comes down to knowing Jesus Christ, I've had at least three experiences in my life. And Fantastic. That's kept, me, that's kept me on the road. But the thing is, is that what you're doing here in this state is helping to open up the hearts and the minds of the people who have been rused and lied to ever since Brigham Young. Amen, and, and that's Mike. all it is. Hey, people thank are you. Believe this, huh? Mike, thank you uh, for that uh, summation. You sound like you have a lot of experience. I'd love to meet you. Will you email me? I'm coming Sunday. You're coming Sunday. I have a friend of mine by the name of A. True Ott, who was a, is a direct descendant of the very first messenger boy of Brigham Young to a man by the name of uh, back, back in the South who was the main guy in the Masonic organization. Wow. Uh, he wrote a book, book called Morals and Dogmas. Oh, yeah, I've heard and of that. That was an excellent book. Yeah. But the thing is, is that we're coming to a time when the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. I do know that. That's right. And people are being prepared for the right reason, not for an organization or a church. And just before I go, remember what the Lord said in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thine kingdom come, thine will be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven. As far as I'm concerned, no matter what Joseph or, or Brigham or any of the, the prophets have said since that time, the kingdom of God is not upon the earth yet. Jesus right. Christ has not come yet. And until he actually puts his foot back on this planet and, and reclaims what has been loaned to, to Lucifer to do what he's going to do, right. um, we, we, have, we, have, we shouldn't even follow an organization. We should follow our everyday relationship with Jesus Christ. Christ and the one and only. God. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it. I look forward to meeting you, man. It's Chewy. Sorry, I'm fa Oh, Chewy, I'm sorry. I, I do that every now and then. That's I'm, okay, but I, I'm looking forward to meeting you because I want to help you and open up your mind a little bit, too, and have an exchange of ideas because this is what it's all about. Sounds good. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to Mike and Ogden. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. 
Mike. Uh, I just wanted to call up and congratulate you. Uh, you did an excellent job on your research. Um, Freemasonry is most definitely not a religion, nor does it have anything to do with religion. Uh-huh. It is, in fact, indeed, more of a civic group. Right. A civic association of men. So um, I wanted to call and congratulate you. Thank you. Uh, you coming to Heart in the Park? I, yeah, I would have to check my work schedule. I work uh, quite a bit there, Mike. Well, if you can't make it, we'll miss you. Uh, hope we can send you a book. I'd be glad to do that uh, for free. Just go to the website, www.bornagainmormon.com, and uh, email us. We'll send you a book, or, or we'll see you at Heart in the Park. One, one point I did want to clear up just uh, real quick. Yeah. Um, Freemasonry does encourage each of its members to practice the faith of their choice. Yeah. Actively. So, right. I mean, uh, but uh, often they do confuse that with being a religion. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I should have brought that out. I, I realize they do that, and that actually reinforces the idea that they're just a civic organization. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You did a wonderful job. Thanks so much. You take care. Take care. God bless now. We're going to Kurt in West Jordan. Kurt, you're on Heart of the Matter. Kurt? Yes. You're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Uh, my, my question is uh, the... you got to turn your TV off, Kurt. Okay. It's gonna delay uh, your. It's gonna delay your conversation. Uh, born again, uh, they can be in Mormonism, and my problem is, is isn't uh, their belief that uh, Jesus and Satan are brothers? Yes, that, that that is their belief that Jesus and Satan are spiritual brothers. But this is the point of of a Mormon being born again, Kurt. I was a Mormon. I was on a high council when I was at the side of the road, and Jesus changed my heart. I was still a Mormon, so therefore I was a born-again Mormon. All it means, all I refer to as that, is that we give Latter-day Saints the opportunity to know Jesus first, to have them accept Him in, his, in their heart and give Jesus the chance to take over their lives. When they do, I know from experience that He leads them where He wants, and we know that's not as a practicing Latter-day Saint. But we got to let Jesus uh, have the chance. The reason I think this approach is better is not only because it happened to me, but because when I was a Latter-day Saint and someone walked up to me and handed me a track of anti-Mormon literature, it did nothing but make me mad and make me want to fight against what they said, even if what they said was right. So the whole purpose behind the show is to help Latter-day Saints give Jesus the chance. Just say, help them to turn their lives completely over to Him, confess their sin, ask to be reborn, and walk in His Spirit. And I believe if they do that, God is faithful in changing lives. Hey, do you, do you think they can stay in the Mormon church and be born again? Well, I was in the LDS church four years after having the roadside experience. It took that long for the Lord to take me out. Um, do I think they'll stay there forever being believers in Jesus Christ? No. But, that, you know, but the problem is, is when you start off with that, some people think you might as well start off by the extraction program and just tell, walk up to every Mormon you see and say, you got to leave that church, it's of the devil, which is it's, it's just unfair, it's not right, and it's spiritually irresponsible. So let's teach Jesus, and let's let Jesus do the work in their heart, and let's let Jesus lead them out, and let us set the example of love and someone who's happy with what the Lord has done for them in their lives. And I think we're going to have a better effect on reaching Mormons or changing what's in the LDS church today than in anything else. All right. All right, brother. Thanks for calling, Kurt. Yeah. You take care. We're going to Nate in Holiday. Nate, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Yeah, I, I wanted to say I uh, think you're doing something kind of courageous here. I really uh, appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, my question is... Um, when you're talking about the, the temple ritual and the LDS faith, and you have those associated cursings, does that concern you? As you know, because you are kind of making covenants, and if you don't do those covenants, you're going to get a cursing. Yeah. Uh, does it concern me personally? Well, yeah. I mean, for for people in general, like I'm kind of like where you were four years ago. I've I've noticed a lot of inconsistencies with a lot of the theology that just don't add up. Yeah more of a fabrication than actual revelation, right? Right. But my concern is that um, I made these covenants and things, and, and how does that 
you know, how does that uh, play out, you know? Yeah. Well, you know what? The, the covenants you make in there are not necessarily bad covenants. I don't think you're going to walk away and say, hey, uh, I'm going to start committing adultery or I'm going to start stealing or being un, un, unkind or whatever. I mean, the covenants you make in an LDS temple, th those are good covenants. They're still Christian in, by nature. It's just you make that covenant through expression of faith in Jesus Christ, and that's all that you need. You don't need to go through and then dedicate your life to to uh, wearing their garments and doing all the things that, that the Masonic temple originated. So as far as the penalties go, um, I think that in and of itself should tell you that there's something inherently wrong with what's going on in there. Because the Lord doesn't operate by that anymore. When Jesus came, the law died. And he doesn't operate by, you're going to do this or suffer this penalty. He operates by reaching out to you in love, wooing you with the Spirit, and um, it's going to take prayer and time and faith on your behalf uh, to go and have these things break down for you. And it may take time, but you just keep going and trusting in the Lord, and he will give you the strength and courage to make the walk that you need. All right. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I was thinking about uh, going to that walk in the park uh, or heart in the park thing. Yeah. I hope you come. What? I hope you come. Introduce yourself and let's talk. All right. Appreciate it. All right, brother. Take care. And uh, let's go to the next caller. They're still out working on him. I have questions from last week. Uh, let's see. Chewy Orem Common. Glad someone putting out the word. Give thumbs up. We talked to Chewy. Last week we had a caller. Uh, I can't remember his name. He gave the Revelation 3.14 scripture. And he, I said he was the first heart in the heart of the matter caller who stumped me. And the Revelation 3.14, it reads about the beginning of the creation of God being Jesus. Um, first of all, I did some research in that. I got out my Greek books, and if you look at the Greek when it comes to that passage, you're going to find, caller from last week, that what it means is, hey, archetes tiskos tau theo. And what that is puts Jesus as, as the beginning of the creation of God. Meaning that God put in Jesus' power, as it says in 1 Corinthians 1.15, uh, and 18, God put Jesus in power of being the creator of all things. And 1 Corinthians 1.15 says Jesus was the creator of all things. So therefore, he couldn't have been created if he is the creator of all things. So the problem with just reading from the English straight out in the Bible is you're not going to get the context in what was really written. And you got to go to the Greek. And your understanding of that verse, as much as I like you as a person and a Latter-day Saint, was faulty, and I'd be glad if you email me, send you all the research I did on it. We don't have enough time to cover it now. Uh, a couple more questions. What is the ho how is the Holy Bible different from the Book of Mormon, John, and West Valley City? Um, the Holy Bible was written by at least 66 dif different authors. Uh, the Holy Bible came from all sorts of backgrounds histories, time frames, it addresses different things, but as one, it is comprehensive, beginning to end, uh, Genesis to Revelation. The Holy Bible has archaeological, physical, um, um, linguistic, genetic histories that can be proven right now. If you want to go to the lands of the Holy Bible, fly over there and see them. The Book of Mormon has not one verifiable evidence not one. It was written at the hand of one man, Joseph Smith. The first Book of Mormon says author there on it, Joseph Smith. Not Moroni, not Mormon, Joseph Smith. The differences are profound. Uh, as far as what they contain, it's a really big subject. Maybe we'll try to cover that in the future, but they are profoundly different. Let's go to Mark in Springville on line three. Mark is a first-time caller on Heart of the Matter. Mark, go ahead. Hey, uh, Sean, my question for you was, uh, I was wondering if you could detail for us the ancient uh, temple ceremony in the Bible. Uh, I can't detail it because I don't have that good of a memory, but if you go to Leviticus, I think you'll find it. Okay, but, I mean, what, what were the actual ceremonies that they did? Again, if you go to Leviticus, you can find what they did with the blood, how often they entered the Holy of Holies, what the uh, inner sanctum was for, what the court for the Gentiles was for. You can read all of that in detail. Okay, There's so, no mystery to what they did in those temples. 
None. And, and, and I've read that related to the sacrifice and stuff. They also talk about the washings and anointings. And I'm just curious how... The washings and anointings are not a mystery. They had a laver there, and everybody had specific Levitical things they had to do if they were called to be priests to cleanse themselves before going in the temple. Those are not a mystery. Those are plainly laid out in, in Leviticus. Okay. All right? All right, thank you. All right, brother, take care. We're going to Suzanne in Orem. Suzanne, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. I um, just wanted to confirm what you were saying about when someone, a Mormon, accepts Christ, God will eventually bring them out. Um, I am a, I was 40 years old, um, Molly Mormon, returned missionary. Uh-huh. Um, my husband was the Elders Quorum president. <laughs> uh-huh. And um, just had an experience where my sister left Mormonism, and I was trying to figure that out, and in our talk, she talked about accepting Christ as my Savior, and, and, I, and I did that. I really wanted to know God. I, I had always, I'd struggled with depression. I did everything right, but um, just wasn't having that spiritual renewal, and I couldn't figure out why when I did everything I was supposed to do. Uh-huh. And um, I just got down on my knees one day, and I just told God, you know, you can have my marriage, you can have my religion, you can have my family. You can have everything. I just want to know you. Awesome. And when I did that, I got up and thought, what have I done? <laughs> and, um, but it was a five-year process. God, I, I was reborn at that moment. I thought, uh-huh. well, I can, I can be a reborn Mormon. Uh-huh. And I tried to stay in Mormonism. And God just changed me. He, yeah. just, he slowly changed my beliefs. He changed everything. And he brought me out. Yeah. And, um, and it's just, it's night and day, my life before. Isn't it? Life now. It is. Suzanne, it, uh, you and I are exactly the same. We, the exact same thing happened with me, and it happens to every single person, regardless of their religion, if they really want to know the truth. When they get to that point where they say, you can have my marriage, you can have my wealth, you can have everything I have, I want to know you. He is faithful in changing hearts. You know, and I thought for a while there God was going to take my marriage. My husband threatened to divorce me, uh-huh. and I chickened out and stayed in Mormonism for two extra years because uh-huh. I was so afraid of losing my husband. Uh-huh. But I couldn't take it anymore. I finally said, "Okay, Lord, you promised. I, mean, I told you I'd do this, and now I'm really going to do it." And then uh-huh. I chose to leave, and that God did the most amazing thing, and He changed my husband. Isn't that amazing? He hey. out, and all four of my children. Oh, praise and, God! And um, I'm now serving God. I, I'm the children's minister of the church in Orem. That is so wonderful. Okay. Suzanne, do you have your television on? I do. Look at the, the camera people behind the cameras are going. <laughs> They're so happy because they know how it changes. And when you trust in God, he doesn't make it worse. He makes it better. Oh, he does. And I was so afraid for my children. We're in the same neighborhood we've been in for 16 years. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid for them, and yet we have awesome neighbors. Um, uh-huh. We we love our neighbors, yeah. and um, we just try to be a witness to our to our Lord and show that He is in our lives, and and continue to love the people around us. And uh-huh. and you know, I I hope we're planting seeds. Who knows? <laughs> well, praise God, you're planting seeds. Believe me. Thank you so. What a valuable call. Thank you so. I hope you come to Heart in the Park. We can use your testimony. You know, I want to, but I have a VBS training on Sunday, and I can't change it because I'm the children's minister. So are you doing it again? I want to. Oh, I'm sure we'll do it sometime. Okay. We'll let you know. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. We have Galen on line one from Salt Lake City. Galen, you're on Heart of the, heart of the Matter. Uh, thank you. Last week I called you. Thanks for that explanation. I wasn't able to hear all of it because I had to turn my TV down a little bit. Oh. I sure love your shirt. It's very good. <laughs> Uh, the question I want to ask you, being a Latter-day Saint, I asked my evangelical friends, I said, if the Latter-day Saint doctrine of salvation is, uh, for the dead is not true, what happens to the vast majority of humanity who have never heard of the name of Jesus Christ? Great question. If they, uh, the, and the New Testament clearly teaches that God is no respecter of persons. Yeah. If, if the Mormon version is not true, then I expect the evangelicals to come up and start admitting that that doctrine has to be true on the basis of logic and scripture alone. Okay, and which, uh, which doctrine are you speaking of that the evangelicals need to say is true? Uh, the evangelicals will not admit that salvation to the dead is true. Oh, well, no, I don't think the evangelicals need to admit that. 
Why I think, not? I don't think that's biblical, Galen, but let me say this. Why isn't it biblical? Because um, there is no, it says, absent in the body, present with the Lord. You, there's no, uh, now is the time for repentance. Once you die, I can't give you all the verses, but once you die, you're dead. That's, I mean, you look at if any you of. You do believe that God is no respecter of persons. What happens to the vast majority of humanity that, who heard of the name of Jesus Christ? That's the good question, and let me give how, you. How did the Lord Jesus Christ make such a big error? Well, no, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't make it. Let me explain it to you as I understand it. Okay, if you read in Romans one, you read that God says that nature itself testifies of me. Okay, nature itself testifies of me. I think God does not seek for ways to put people in hell. If people, if the African who's never heard Jesus Christ resonates to nature and says, I know in his language, I know there is a God and lives accordingly to the spirit that guides him, God is a God of grace. And he's going to, he's going to do with those people as all grace that you and I could never fathom. That means he's going to teach the gospel to them, which you... What do you mean, teach the gospel? What, what, do, you, what, do, what, is, what do you mean, teach the gospel? Uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, right? Well, here, th this is beautiful, Galen. You know why? Because by accepting God, but that you see reflected in nature, in Christianity, you're accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Mormonism that you're not accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. Why, uh, because in Mormonism, you're accepting God the Father by looking at the stars and seeing Him and, and responding to Him, but not the Son. So in Mormonism, you have to have an afterlife teaching of Jesus because you're saying that Jesus and God are different people. Well, too, but you need to have people... Uh, how will these people know who Jesus Christ is if you don't teach them about it? They, they know who He is. It says, like I said in Romans, they know who He is by virtue of where they are. God implants whatever to them. There is no, they're going to burn in hell forever if they died and never had a chance. It's called the grace of God that Jesus afforded through his suffering on the cross. The same way with a child, the same way with a retarded person who died. Uh, why? How, how do you tie that scripture in, though, with uh, Romans where God said he gave to every man a, a preacher to preach the gospel to him? And, and, and talking about the people who are going to hear the gospel, that's true. So how are they going to hear it uh, in the next world? if they haven't heard it in this life. I, what, what you have there, Galen, is a non-biblical certainty doctrine to give people peace, to give people hope, and to come up with a religious superstructure to, to give some kind of plan. But there is nothing in the scriptures. Look at, when you look at the parable of Jesus, when he talks about the rich man and Lazarus, yeah, he, he says they died, and one was in hell and one was in heaven. Yeah, I mean, but you're still denying the fact that uh, there God, there is no respect to persons with God. He's not going to change his gospel and the method of how he teaches uh, to suit uh, you or suit me or anybody else. He's going to uh, no, have that, a, no, you're reading into that saying he's not going to change his methods into how he teaches. You're reading so much into that. I mean, we don't know what, how God uh, operates. He operates in so many ways. Well, of course he operates in so many ways, but why do you deny the fact that uh, Christ could be taught to these people in the next world, especially those who've never heard about him. Well, the, I deny it in the idea that I uh, understand it or that I think it is a, um, or that I think that it's a reality. Now, if Jesus is brought to them and people come to know him somehow and realize, ah, this is what uh, I was missing in my life, I would have accepted him, that's God omnis um, omnipresence, that's God omniscience. He's the one who's handling that, not us. But I don't think a religion needs to propose stuff that's not in the scripture to give answers to things we don't fully understand. Well, and you're just saying we don't fully understand, but yet you're just telling me that that's not a true doctrine. No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just saying that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Christ. How that, comes well, how that comes about, Galen, I don't know, and neither do you. Well, but you can't deny that it's going to come to pass either. I don't deny it's going to come to pass. That's scriptural. See, but, so but many special... evangelical Christians deny that doctrine. That's dangerous doctrine for them to categorically deny that all people who have never heard about Jesus Christ will automatically go to hell. Well, you know what? When you hear evangelical Christians that say anybody who has not heard the name Jesus Christ going to hell, you have an evangelical Christian who has not studied the Word of God and doesn't understand the grace and love of God. Uh, 
Kerner, every evangelical Christian, and I've talked to a lot of them, uh, Sean. Well, you're talking to one right now, and I'm giving you a different answer, Galen. Well, they gave me a different answer, every one well, of them. Well, you know what? They didn't Here's know the they... thing. Here's the thing, though. This is what's important, Galen. Yeah. It's not what the evangelical says and what I say in the conflict and what's going to happen with the people who die. The thing that's important is what are you doing with Jesus Christ in your life right now? The thing that is important is not what God's going to do with those who have left without him. The thing that's important is what are we doing to share his message, his truthful message now? Those other things are sub-issues to help us kind of get off track, and they keep us off track. Let's stick to the real thing. Let's preach Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus, and let God handle what happens to the African who dies who didn't hear the gospel. Well, that's sure nice for you to say. What about the poor person who died 400 years ago and didn't have you? I believe that person's fine. You believe that he has to have all kinds of works done by the LDS Church, and the evangelical that you have talked to believe they're going to hell. Let's let God figure that out, okay? God but has already I, figured it out. Let, let me, no, no he didn't figure. He didn't. He did not figure it out through a plan, Galen. Listen, uh, the people I associate with who are very respected in the Christian community. They are leaders in America in the Christian community. They have the exact same opinion as I do. So you're talking to some evangelicals who are not of the same ilk. Galen, I like your ideas and you have a lot of probing ones. I look forward to when you come and talk about when you came to the Lord. I got to hit it. I've already come to the Lord. All right, brother. We're going to Kivy on line three from Napa, Idaho. First time caller. Hi, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Good. I just wanted to call and say that I praise God for you coming out of the Mormon church and becoming a born-again believer and praising God for what you're doing. Thank you so much, Kibby. On this show, and I just had a comment or ask, actually a question for you. Yes. I have a lot of Mormons in the area, and I just don't know a lot about Mormonism. So I'm learning a lot on your show, and I was just wondering, how did the Mormon... Um, the Book of Mormon come about? What happened was, in a nutshell, Joseph Smith um, was uh, given a revelation from an angel named Moroni who came to his house and appeared to him in a vision and said, there's some gold plates hidden by your home. He went and got those gold plates over a period of time, and after 10 years of first meeting Moroni, the Book of Mormon came forth, and what it's supposed to be is a record of people who left Jerusalem 600 years before Christ, they wrote records, and those records were compiled onto those gold plates, and it's supposed to be another testament of Jesus Christ. That, in a nutshell, is the Book of Mormon. I'd love to send you my book. If you stay on the line, the operators will get your uh, email address, or you can email me, and we'll send it to you for free, and it will explain it. In... I have one more quick, quick question Go ahead. about this. I just wanted to know if um, in the Bible it says that Satan can come as, as an angel of light. Angel of light. In Galatians? See an angel of light from him that brought those books and those beliefs into the church? Yeah. What the Latter-day Saints would say to you on that reference in Galatians is that uh, Satan uh, does appro approach people as an angel of light when he brings them another gospel, but this is not another gospel. That's, what the, that's how they'll answer it. doesn't line up with the Bible. Yeah, I know, but they believe it does. And the Book of Mormon, actually, just to be fair to the Latter-day Saints who are now getting ready to call or come down here, um, the Book of Mormon actually is a very 18th century piece of Christian liter literature. It was written, I believe, by Joseph Smith, but it's just literature. And he borrowed so much from the Bible that it really replicates most almost what's in the Bible. It's the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price and the Temple Ceremonies that do not reflect Mormonism. I see. Okay. Call, write us and get the book and we'll go from there. Okay, super. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, Jimmy, we're taking one last call. Operators, one last call. And uh, Jimmy in Salt Lake City, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, thank you. Um, I wanted to say that people are afraid to doubt and there's really not uh, a reason to be afraid to doubt because a holy doubt, a righteous doubt, will doubt things, falsehoods that we have considered to be true that we've never questioned it because we don't dare question the validity of things, especially things we are brought up with, whether it be in a religion or anything. Yeah. Truth is not something we decide exists. Truth exists independently of our decision. Amen. When, when we receive the way, the truth, and the life, it's the person Jesus not a set of 
of things that people make up about Jesus. Right. The scripture contains all we need to know about Jesus and about his teachings. They're all in the scriptures. Amen. Uh, and so I would just say that don't be afraid to doubt. There is a holy doubt because the truth is not produced by theory and our decision. The truth is something we either welcome or we refuse, and it's the person, God, not not that, not a, a, an idea of right. God. Um, another thing about the Trinitarian doctrine can be understood in another way. Instead of saying three persons in one being, for me it's more clarified when I say one being in three persons, and that's identically oh. the same thing. Oh. And that clears up the, the idea of three separate, independent, in being entities, and it's one being, not three. I love that. Excellent. I'll I hope see you, you come. On Sunday, perhaps. Okay, good. Thank Thanks you. so much. Okay, uh, some final thoughts quickly uh, relative to our discussion. If I can find my notes, um, Joseph Smith adopted much from um, Masonry. He became a Mason. There was a Masonic lodge in Nauvoo, which had an angel blowing a trumpet going horizontally and had the compass and square on its steeple. The Nauvoo Temple today is an exact replica of the uh, uh, Nauvoo Temple back in the 1800s, except they took that off and they put the angel Moroni upright. Joseph Smith uh, went through and six weeks later, after being a Mason, six weeks later, he came out with the LDS endowment ceremony that people now participate in as revelation from God on what they need to live with God again. This is a revelation of their salvation that Joseph Smith came up with. The Bible teaches that salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ, period. Salvation meaning living with God again. It does not come by vicarious works. It does not come by entering temples and doing different uh, works and rituals and ordinances. Those are all religion propagated by a man who is trying to form some kind of society that would become powerful and mighty upon this earth. I challenge you, if you're LDS, to, to read Duncan's Freemasonry. It's a book that's available at Barnes & Noble. It's only about this big, about that thick, and it is filled with the history of what Freemasonry was about and how the Latter-day Saints built their entire temple ceremony off the ideas that Joseph took from that. Until that, we'll see you Sunday at Heart in the Park or next week on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy On the wind And I won't become This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light-filled monkeys start.